not there anymore. Stay with me for just five or six minutes, then if you want to check out, you can. Okay? I want you with me just for a few minutes because um, reading this text, we're standing on holy ground because we're dealing with the aftermath of the cross and the death of Jesus Christ. And the text gives us an opportunity to consider the faithful few who stuck around long enough to deal with the details of Jesus' remains. Somebody, somebody had to take care of the body. This is, this is a frustration that many people face when they lose a loved one. <clears throat> when you lose a loved one, the whole family will cry with you. But hardly anybody will help you deal with the details. And people will come and act a fool at the funeral and squall and roll around in the floor at a funeral they didn't help to plan. Over a dead body they didn't help to dress and pick out the clothes. They'll come and eat the food and have no idea who ordered it, who paid for it, or where it came from. Because people love to cry, but they don't like to deal with the, the details. And when you have a death, there's, there, there's no more emotional and ethereal and practical of a thing that collides than anything else in life. Because you, you've got all the memories of the person, you've got the life of the person and the impact of the person and all the things the person did and all of the ways the person made you feel and you've got all of that represented by the icon of their life, but, but then you also got a stinking dead body. And the body's got to be prepared. It's very practical. It's got to be dressed in something. It's very practical. It's got to go somewhere. Can't leave Jesus sitting on the couch. So, so somebody had, had to wipe their tears, feel the disgusting, nauseating pangs of loss. And yet care enough to stick around and deal with the corpse and, and the details. The highest level of love is expressed in the details. I'm not saying that you don't love somebody if you're not interested or given to the details. I'm saying the highest level of love is found when, when you can be bothered with the details. Now, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that Jesus humbled himself 
was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by dying on the cross. But even after his death, we see Jesus is still being humbled. Because his disciples have abandoned him. All of the people that he has healed have abandoned him. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. But when he died and it was time to deal with the details, there were only five people left to do it. Can you imagine having the impact Jesus had and only five people show up to deal with the details? If you ever planned a funeral, you know what this is like. If it ever all had to fall on you, you know exactly what this is like and how it feels. And you also know the love it requires to push the tears and grief and misery down long enough to care about the details. And the scripture is careful to tell us who the five were. Number one, you've got Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a devout man given to the law of the Lord. He loved the law of the Lord and he was wealthy and he had received a great inheritance from his parents, so money wasn't necessarily an issue for him. And he spent the early part of his life trying out all of the sectors of Judaism because he wanted to live his life surrounded by the word. He tried out the Pharisees and he tried out the Sadducees and he even tried out the Essenes. But he found in all three sectors of organized religion that the organized religion had been corrupted with political motives. The Pharisees, the party on the right, and the Sadducees, the party on the left, and the Essenes, everybody else. And, and he was disappointed that something that should have been reserved and pointing to God was now being used as a political tool. It disgusted him that the things of God were being championed as something to sway politics and who someone would vote for to lead them in society. He, he was disillusioned by it, and he, he started to distance himself from the God that he loved until one day he heard Jesus preach the word and when he heard Jesus preach the word for the first time he saw in spoken preached word the God that he had read about all of his life in the scriptures and it was the word of Jesus that reached out and held on to Joseph of Arimathea you know sometimes you hold on to a word sometimes a word holds on to you. Sometimes you hear a word that grabs you. Sometimes you hear a word that you can't get away from. Sometimes you hear a word that keeps talking to you in your mind months and even years after you hear it. So Joseph of Arimathea decided to use his wealth and his political connections and all of the things that he knew. And he got an audience with Pilate. And he said, don't take his body to the dump. 
let me pay you for it. Wonder how much he paid for the dead body of Jesus Christ. And then he went and arranged a tomb for Jesus. And he did all of that because Jesus had given him a word that he just couldn't get away from. And the one who gave it is now dead. And he's still being loyal to a dead man because he said that man's word changed my life and I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for the word he gave me. So if everybody else leaves him in this hour of his vulnerability and need, I'm going to stay because I remember the word that saved my life and saved my soul when I was ready to walk out on God, when I was in a bad place in my life, when I was in a dark place in my mind. He gave me a word. I can't leave him now. I've been held by the word for too long. And, and next you've got, you got Nicodemus. Some of you may remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees, a teacher of teachers, rulers of rulers. He was the one that came to Jesus by night in secret. He came in secret because he knew Jesus was preaching and teaching the truth. But he didn't want to sacrifice his job and his reputation to be seen with Jesus publicly. Nicodemus was a person classified as on the fence. But the Bible says that Nicodemus comes in at Jesus' death when all of his disciples that had followed him faithfully, when all of the people that said, Lord, we'll never leave you, when they ran out, Somebody that had followed at a distance ran in. <clears throat> Some of the people you think are really, really for you. Ain't for you. And then at the same time, there's people that are distant that you don't really think, think very much of you. And then you find out they're the ones that come running in. When everyone else is running out and Nicodemus runs in because the, the, the body is dead. And the thing about dead bodies after a couple of hours, they start to stink and it gets worse and worse as time goes on. There was no embalming in Jesus' day, so the stench was far worse, far quicker. So what they would do to prepare a body is they would take a couple of pounds of precious perfumed oils and then fragrant spices. And they would anoint the body with it. And then they would wrap the body in tight linen strips. They normally use three or four pounds of oils and spices. Dignitaries and kings of that day were customarily buried with five pounds of oils and spices. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds. of oils and spices, an outlandish, extravagant gift because it meant so much to him that Jesus had loved him even though he was distant. There's a few people in the room this morning 
you know you're distant from God. But Nicodemus and his story proves to us that God loves and still reaches for and still accepts even people who follow him at a great distance. But then the painstaking task of taking those linen strips, strip by strip, and cleaning the body, washing all the blood off of it. And if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you know there was a lot of blood. Blood quickly dries and coagulates and it cakes and you have to scrub. Can you imagine scrubbing the dead body, the dead, crucified, brutalated body of the Lord Jesus? That fell to three women. The first was Mary Magdalene. Every time the Bible talks about her, never calls her Mary. It always calls her Mary Magdalene. Why Mary Magdalene? Because she was from Magdala, the island that was known for its prostitution and its illicit activities. She was in an environment of such wickedness and participated in such wickedness. You can only go so far in a wicked, evil lifestyle but before the things that you're uh, holding on to eventually start holding on to you. And, and the Bible says that she became possessed with seven evil spirits. They had her completely bound and completely tortured. She was tortured in her soul and in her mind all day long. And the Bible says that when she met Jesus, that Jesus cast seven devils out of her, seven evil spirits out of her and delivered her. And the deliverance was so powerful that after that, she said, I'm going to follow you everywhere you go. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to leave my life. And wherever you go, I'm going to follow because I'll never forget where I was and how bad a shape I was in when you came and delivered me. I would have lost my mind if you would not have delivered me. I would continue to be in a state of abuse and in a state of deplorable living if you wouldn't have stepped in and delivered me. So the deliverance from Mary was so powerful. She didn't get up and say, thank you. I'll see you next week at service. She said, where are you going next? Because every step you take, every move you make, I'm going to be right on your trail because I remember how bad it was when you found me. And some of us don't praise and worship because we like the song. Some of us praise and worship because we still remember where we were when God stepped in to the muck and the mire of our situation and he broke the chains off of us. And, and we have to follow because he, he delivered. And then, and then next you have, you have Joanna. Joanna. The Bible says in the commentaries, if you study it, Pastor Derek, that it was Joanna's son 
who was the centurion's servant that came to Jesus. The, the centurion came to Jesus. He said, I, I got a servant. He works for me at the house, and he's a really good servant. I hate to, I hate to lose him. He's lying at the point of death. He, he's about to die. And the centurion says to Jesus, uh, he, he's, about, he's about to die. Jesus said, I'll come heal him. Centurion said, problem is, I'm not worthy. That someone like you should come into my house. But I believe you're so powerful. If you stand right where you are and speak your word, then I know your word will cause my servant to be made whole. Jesus stood back, sent the word, and the Bible said the servant recovered that very hour. Somebody's going to recover in one hour. I've heard of a one-day blessing and a one-month blessing and a one-year blessing, but somebody's going to get better in one hour from now. It's 1121. At 1221, you're going to recover in one hour. I feel that that just jumped out of my spirit. That ain't even in my notes. Somebody's going to get better in one hour. The devil told you it's going to get worse. The devil told you it's going to progress. The devil told you it's going to metastasize. But the word of the Lord said you're getting better in one hour. Somebody shout one hour. Give the Lord a praise right there. He said, uh, he said from that hour, he, he, he started getting better. And that's amazing. It's an amazing scripture about the centurion. But more amazing is that servant of the centurion was Joanna's son. And to all the mamas, when your baby, or if your baby, your child, you know, ever gets so sick they're laying at the point of death and I only know this because I've had a son laying at the point of death there's something about watching the life slowly drain out of your child it, it takes you to a place mentally and spiritually Nothing else will. And, and Jesus, right when the life was about to leave him, imagine a candle barely burning, just about to sniff out. Right when the life was about to leave him, Joanna was laying there by the bed praying for him. Oh, God, please, I, I need a miracle, please. And, and he was getting weaker and weaker and sicker and sicker. And right before he was about to die, Jesus released that one-hour word. And instead of the candle sniffing out, she started to notice the flame inside his life get brighter and brighter over that one hour until he was totally recovered. And she didn't get up and go tell Jesus, thank you. She got up and went and told Jesus, I'm going to follow you everywhere you go for the rest of your life because not because of what you did for me because of what you did for my son 
Now, I'll tell you this right now. It's one thing to bless me. It's another thing if you do something for one of my sons. There are some people, there are some people that if you save the life of their son, you got them for the rest of your life. And that, that was how Joanna felt. You healed my baby. Now, everybody else may be leaving, but I'm going to stick around here and I'm going to deal with your body. And I'm going to deal with your details because I still remember what you did for me when the life was leaving my child. And there's some people that came here this morning because it's about to be Easter season. And there's some people that came here this morning because somebody invited you. And there's some people that came here this morning to scratch an emotional itch. But there's some people that didn't have a choice on whether you were going to come to church this morning because you feel like you owe the Lord. Because somewhere back in your history God did something for you that no one else could do somewhere back in the timeline of your life God stepped in and did something and every time you think about it it, it pierces your soul with thankfulness and he said I, she said I'll just I, I just follow you the rest of my life and, and then lastly you have Mary the mother of James. James, according to the commentaries, had lost his faith. Seeing the corruption of the Pharisees, seeing the, the way that politics had woven its way into the most holy faith, it disgusted James to the point of losing any confidence in all of it. That's why it's so dangerous to bring politics into the church. You risk people losing their faith in God over a human ideology. James had got twisted. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus took time with him and began to speak pure truth and pure word about God to him. Jesus did something amazing. He just left all the politics out and talked about God. What a novel idea for a Christian leader to leave all the politics out and just talk about God and trust that God can get more done with you talking about God than with you standing up and trying to spread your political opinions on a whole group of people. And Jesus, he talked to James about God and it, it turned the trajectory of James's life she had noticed her son on the wrong path. And when you're watching your child go down a wrong path, it's painful. When you watch them making decisions that's going to, you know, is going to snare and hurt their life and their future, it's painful. And if you're a praying person, you lay awake and you pray for your children's decisions. You pray about who they get in relationships with. You pray about who they marry. You, you pray about where they decide to live. You pray about what they decide to do in their vocation. You pray about it because it matters. And, and, and she prayed and, and Jesus turned James. He turned his life around. She said, I'll follow you everywhere. 
because you brought the turnaround that my family needed. And God still brings family turnarounds. I just, I feel to say that to somebody that's got a loved one that's on the wrong path. God still brings family miracles. Every miracle is not the healing of the crippled or the opening of the blinded eye. Every miracle is not the raising of the dead. Some miracles are when God steps into the life of a loved one and turns the light on and shows them the error of their ways and leads them to the proper path and she said I'll I'll follow you everywhere it was these five people who held the highest level of love for Jesus more than Peter who said I'm willing to go with you even unto death and then when he got confronted said I swear I don't know him and the Bible said he cussed. You know, I, you can get creative with what he said. I told you I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Three syllable, know him. <laughs> trying to figure out the syllables. <laughs> all, all of the people that he that he touched, that he blessed, that he ministered to, it it was five that he did something unique in their life. And, And these five people, they're all different. They're from different backgrounds. But what they all have in common is gratitude. And you don't have to teach grateful people how to worship. You don't have to teach grateful people how to praise. You don't have to teach grateful people how to say thank you. And you don't have to teach grateful people how to be loyal. And you don't have to teach grateful people how to serve. When you're truly grateful, all that stuff just leaks out. Grateful. When you're full of gratefulness. Worship leaks out. Praise leaks out. Thank you leaks out. You can be driving your car and think of something and just say, Lord, I thank you. And tears start streaming down your face. You can be washing your dishes and start crying. Tears falling on your dirty plates saying, Lord, I thank you for what you did for me. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. They're just bound together by the commonality of their gratefulness and what the church needs a revival of. We don't need a revival of more word. We got the best preachers we've ever had in the world to this time. We don't need a revival of better praise and worship. We don't need a revival of even prayer. We need a revival of gratefulness. We need a revival of people coming to church remembering and thankful for all that God has done in their life. A church that when they lift up their hands and they open up their mouth, it's not about the tone or the sound coming out of their throat. It's about saying, God, I have something on earth that I want to express to you in heaven. I want to say thank you for all that you've done for me. Let all the grateful people just take you a quick moment. Think back to something God did for you and give him a grateful, a grateful sound, a grateful sound. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Verse 1 
of Luke 24 on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. You got to understand the setting. He died right before the Sabbath law had kicked in, right? A couple hours before. The Sabbath law prevented anybody from doing any work until sun up after the Sabbath. So they're trying as fast as they can to wipe all the blood off of the body, anoint, perfume, and spice the body, and then cut all those linen strips and and, wrap, and they can't finish before sundown and Sabbath law kicks in. And they could be jailed, possibly stoned, if they continued working on his body uh, after Sabbath kicked in. So they had to wait until the sun came up. So very early in the morning conveys their urgency. They're, they're literally standing in the doorway watching the horizon, waiting for the sun to crack the sky, and it reveals their inward desperation. He's dead! But they're being loyal, and they're serving, and they're honoring a man they think is dead. They don't want nobody walking by and smelling him. I don't want him to smell my Jesus. Uh-uh. I want to cover him up. I want to keep him covered. I want to keep his dignity intact. I, I want to keep everything covered. And, and they get there. And they get there with the most beautiful of hearts. And the best of intentions. So many people today, they love exposing leaders. We used to have people that knew what it was to cover. Close pastor friend of mine died in a horrific car accident Friday night. And to my shock, and disgust, someone posted a picture of it, of the car, on social media. And I was aghast at where is the thing in our society that, that used to preserve a shred of dignity or privacy? And, and these women... They, they had it. They had that. They had that kind of love. They had that kind of loyalty. They wanted to get there as soon as they could and finish the job because they didn't want him to stink. Much less not anybody able to look in and see. His, they didn't even want him to, to smell bad. When they get to the tomb, the Bible says, they found the stone rolled away. And they're shocked. And then they see what looks like two men, really two angels. The Bible lets us know they were angels by telling us that their garments were shining and glistening. And the angels ask them a question. Now, when you, when you stop and unpack this, Heaven is a real place. 
There's streets of gold. There's the crystal seas of glass. There's the throne room. There's the altars. There's the holy place. There's the angels. The scripture calls it a city. And there's interaction. The angels talk to God. God talks to the angels. So there's a language in heaven. What language do you think they speak in heaven? Look at you. You said English, didn't you? I speak English. If you think that, why would you think that? You know how many countries there are in the world? How many languages? How many cultures? Wonder what language they speak in heaven. And yet, when the angels come to the earth with a word from God, they speak the word to these women in their own. God does speak your language. Whatever your level of understanding, whatever your level of faith, whatever your level of knowledge, God knows how to reach you right where you are. Heaven knows how to speak your language. So, so the angel speaks to them a word from God, and the word is, is in the form of a question. Heaven is asking earth a question. And the angels ask them, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, you're looking for the right thing, but you're looking in the wrong place. Why seek you the living among the dead? And I was reading this because it's in my plan of reading as we approach Passion Week. But all of a sudden, when I read it and I heard it and I thought about it and meditated on it, I realized that the Word of God is not for a fixed time. It is eternal. And that if the Word of God was asking them a question then, it could be asking us a question now. And maybe the word that somebody needs to hear from the Lord today is, why are you seeking the living? among the dead or why are you looking for your future in the tombs of your past why are you looking for your tomorrow in the boneyards of your yesterday why are you seeking things that are alive amongst things that are dead and then the next question that comes to my mind is if Jesus wasn't there anymore, if he's moved on, why did he leave the angels there? He wanted to leave the angels there so that his followers would not misrepresent what was going on in their life. Because God knew when they show up and they see I'm not here, 
it's going to look strange. It's going to look mysterious. It's going to look scary. They're going to be fearful. And I don't want them to misappropriate what they're seeing by misunderstanding what I'm doing. The simple reality is that stage of their experience with me is over. And you got to know when a stage is over. Our problem so many times in life is we can't recognize when a stage is over. We want God to do it the same way at the same time as he did it the last 50 times. But if God loves you and if God is holding you and leading you, then occasionally he will take you a different way. You'll get the same result, but you may have to go a different way. When God brought Moses to the Red Sea, he said, stretch out your rod and the water parted during the Passover. When Joshua Joshua brought the children of Israel to the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan. And so Joshua gets the rod and then, you know, stands out there and stretches it out. And it didn't work because God's not there anymore. He's not in the rod. He said, Joshua, get the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest and march out into the water. And when they got knee deep in the water, that's when the water parted. It was the same result, but it was a different application. It was the same thing. It was a different stage. And some of you think God has abandoned you and you think God has forsaken you and you think God has forgotten you because you don't feel the same way that you used to. The problem isn't that he's abandoned you. The problem is that you're still looking in a dead place for a living God. You're still looking back to a moment in time that is over for a God who desires to do exceeding abundantly and above all you can ask or think in your life but he's not where you left him. And you keep going to the tomb to the tombs of your addiction, to the tombs of your sin, to the tombs of your self-loathing. After all, that's where he found you the last time, right? You keep going back to the tombs of your abuse. I mean, that's where he met you and delivered you the last time, right? You keep going back to the tombs of what's wrong with you. Because instead of a relationship with God, you have a relationship with the component of him that is a physician. But when he loves you, sometimes he'll leave the place you last left him and see if you're willing to seek for him again. I want to tell you, you hadn't been forgotten. I want to tell you, you hadn't been abandoned. I want to tell you, God has not left you. He's just not in the same old spot anymore. He's not there anymore. He's still here, but he's not there anymore. Jesus rose from the dead bodily, and it's time for some of you to rise and walk in the newness of life because you keep walking around in circles and cycles expecting God to do it the same way. He's not there anymore. Why seek ye the living among the dead. He's not there anymore. Watch. He has risen. He's gone higher. He's gone up. 
So at this stage, if you want to see him, you're going to have to go up. You're going to have to raise your vision. You go, I feel it. You're going to have to raise your, you're going to have to raise your level of perception. You're going to have to raise your thinking. You're going to have to raise your understanding because what he's doing now is something that you've never seen before. And God still wants to do something in your life that you've never seen before. But you won't find it at the tomb. Yesterday is over. What you went through, what you did, all that stuff, it was painful. I know you cried, you suffered, and God may have met you there in your pain. But I want to tell you something. It's Sunday morning, and he's not there anymore. And you don't have to be either. It's time for you to come out of what's been binding you. It's time for you to stand up, roll up your bed, and walk. It's time for you to step out in faith and take God at his word. It's time for you to exit the wandering of the wilderness, walking in circles, and step in to your promised place. The Bible says when the children of Israel came to the banks of the Jordan that the manna that had been feeding them for 40 years stopped. They went outside that next morning and they looked. For 40 years there's been food. They went outside and they looked. And Joshua said, it's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. Now mind you, they're belly aching about a little meal of manna not being there. And there's a city on the other side of the river God is giving them. In a few days, God will make the walls of Jericho fall down flat. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And they're mad about a meal. Imagine almost missing a city. Because you're mad about a meal. Don't miss your city. The provision is still there. It's just not there. God's still going to bless you. It's just not going to look like it looked like before. The manna's turning into a city. The power is... is the power is changing its dynamics and its level. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. When, when, the, when the women were looking for Jesus, they didn't understand that though he had been there the night before, now he's operating in a whole new sphere of power called resurrection power. Okay. And, and in order for them to see it, feel it, speak with it, participate in it they had to be willing to turn away from the pain and the emotion that's what keeps a lot of us caught in the tombs you know you can go through pain long enough that you develop a relationship with pain You can go through pain long enough that you kind of make part of your identity pain. And it's very challenging, even when good things happen. 
it's very challenging to really receive it because you spent so much time in that tomb hanging with your pain. This was the most traumatic event these women had ever experienced in their life. And in one moment, God challenges them. Leave that. All those tears you invested, all that weeping, all that sleep you lost, all that stuff, all that torturing of your soul, just leave that right there. Do like Bishop said. He just discard it right there. Just get it out of you right there. I've moved on, and I want you to move on too. This is a word for somebody. God has moved on. He wants you to move on too. Don't let the past trap you. Don't let yesterday stop you. Don't let the negative emotions and tears you cried cause you to stay a second longer in a place that God is through with. It's your time to come up and seek God for where he is right now. If you believe it, holler, yeah! Stand on your feet and give him a praise in the house this morning. I pray over your life that you will have the courage to abandon the pain that's in the tombs of yesterday. I pray over your life you'll have the courage to abandon the abuse and the neglect and the hurt that's in the tombs of yesterday. I pray that you will have the boldness and the faith to have more confidence in what God is going to do in your future than what God did in the days of the past. I pray that over your life, you have a sense that God wants to do something new in my life. Just pat yourself and say, God wants to do something new in my life. But my mindset is it's got to shift. The way I speak to myself, my internal narrative has got to shift. The way I, I look at worship, the way I look at the word, the way I look at the presence of God, it's got to shift. I, I've got to go through a shift because I want to know you. I want to know you, God. I don't want to know who you were in one stage or season of my life. I don't want to get trapped in the graveyard of that place. I want to know who you are right now. I want to know who you are right now. Your word says that if they seek me, they will find me when they search for me with all of their heart. And I pray that a desire will come on you to search for God like you never have. A real relationship with God, not with church, not with people but a relationship with God first and then everything else. A relationship with his word, a relationship with his truth, a relationship with his presence. So Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person in this room, we pray the blessing of the Lord on them. For every person in this room, we announce to them what the angel said to the three women. Stop seeking the living among the dead. When we speak the blessing of the Lord, the encouragement of the Lord, that the light of your word would begin to shine in the dark places of our life and give us the direction and the strength and the instruction we need for the next steps we have to take. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give him one more hand praise all over the house. Hallelujah. Listen. I hope you will join me. I, I really hope you will join me um, 
April the 15th on Good Friday and then Saturday at 7 o'clock and Sunday morning, uh, Passion Week, Holy Week, what the world calls Easter, we call the Passover Resurrection Sunday. And I hope you'll I hope you'll come enjoy this. If the word blessed you today and you want to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, you can give an offering or a seed. I know many of you are preparing for resurrection seed. We understand that. But if you're in the house and you want to sow, you want to give, you want to bless the Lord, you can get an envelope or you can get your phone out and text. If you're watching on social media or any other media platform, you can give in the comments link and it will be a blessing to you. Father, we thank you for every person. We thank you for every person who has a heart to give to bless you. Some of us give because we feel like we owe you because you've done so much for us. We thank you for all of the wonderful things. Thank you for the testimony Pastor John gave today. Thank you for the powerful praise and worship service today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful children of Urosh that we were able to dedicate to the Lord today, Urosh and Katarina. We thank you for all of the people that came to the church today. We thank you for all the babies next door. We thank you for all the people watching online. It's a blessing to be in this house, in this moment, in this season. And Lord, we, all, we offer our gifts to you right, right now. We offer our gifts to you, and we ask that you receive it from our hearts of gratitude. And we ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have something you can bring, bring it. We love you so much. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have an incredible week. I love you, CW.